Trusting the Bible is a podcast series from Tyndall House Cambridge and Bible Society. Conversations with experts in biblical studies. In our first series, Trusting the Gospels, we're exploring the reliability, relevance and reality of the four gospel accounts. In this episode, Dr. Andrew Ollerton speaks to Dr. Dirk Jonkind about the process through which the Gospels were preserved and came to be written down. Well, welcome to our series. My name is Andrew Ollerton. I work with Bible Society and today I'm joined by Dr. Dirk Jonkind, who's part of the Tyndale House Research Centre in Cambridge. Um, Dirk, it's great that you've joined us today. Thank you. Welcome to, uh, to our podcast series. We're thinking about... The, the reliability of the Gospels, particularly in the New Testament, and um, the access they give us to the life of Jesus. And I know this is an area that you've researched considerably in, and we will get to all of that in a moment. Before we do that, it's always good to hear a bit of your backstory yourself personally. Um, Dirk, could you share a bit about how you came to faith and maybe a little bit about your journey into biblical research as well? Yes, I can. Thank you. Um, I grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, one of those many reformed denominations uh, we're proud of. Dutch reformed, okay. One of yeah. the Dutch reformed yeah. denominations. And actually, I think when I was six or seven years old, I was pretty much convinced that Jesus died for me on the cross. Okay. And combined an early faith with a fair dose of nerdiness. I got into <laughs> biblical studies and looking at all sorts of things. Biblical. Age six or is this a little bit further Well, a bit further nine years old. Nine years old, goodness me. Um, but what really hit it for me was I've, I am and I was a big fantasy and science fiction fan. Okay. And I was not paying attention to most of sermons very much, but kind of reading, browsing through my Bible. And then I stumbled over the book of Revelation. And the whole symbolic world of Revelation, that was so close to fantasy, to science fiction, etc. Mm. And that really kind of uh, lit the fire of, wow, the Bible is really interesting. Wow. Sort of in me. This is so at a young age, the apocalyptic revelations in the last book of the Bible kind of caught your imagination. Absolutely. And um, uh, more than the sermons by the sounds of things. Yeah, and, clearly. <laughs> and then you sort of began a journey of deeper inquiry and scholarship. How have you ended up in Tyndale House uh, doing the research you do? Well, uh, I'm a dropout of university. Uh, when I was 19, started studying psychology at the Free University of Amsterdam, dropped out after a year and joined my father in the flower growing business. Mm -hmm. But uh, I remained sort of itchy for study. So uh, when I was 29, I basically sold off the flower nursery, went back to a seminary in the Netherlands, Tyndale Theological Seminary. And then I was invited to come and do a master's in Cambridge and never been able to get away from Cambridge. Wow. Okay. So from the flower industry to biblical research um, and your particular area of focus is obviously on the Greek New Testament and we're talking today around the Gospels especially. Um, so let's dive into that and I suppose because when you open the New Testament the first thing you hit is Matthew's Gospel and the four Gospels we almost assume that they are the earliest writings but that's not actually the case. Could you give us a bit of a sort of almost a chronology just more, more generally about the New Testament how it got to be written and what were some of the earliest forms? Yes and and let me do that 
um, using some dates, some years. Yes, so the death helpful. and resurrection of Jesus, now the year 32 or 33, difficult to pin it down on a particular year, but let's say 33 for the, for the sake of the argument. Um, the apostles started preaching after the death and the resurrection, as we find it in Acts and the description there of the early church. Then in Acts, we don't find mention that Paul or Peter were actually writing letters themselves, even though we know that some of the letters by Paul were written during the history that Acts is recording. But Acts does not record that Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians when he was in Corinth, for example. Um, so the earliest parts of the written New Testament are the letters, and probably those by Paul, but maybe James or Peter as well. In those letters, we don't find reference to the written gospel, at least not uh, in most of them, perhaps in Timothy, but that's, that's another story. But we don't find letters to the written gospel. So that seems to suggest that the gospels were not there yet in written form. Now, then we get to uh, the 60s, so we're talking about 30 years after death and resurrection, and then it is most likely that the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and perhaps also Luke were starting to uh, be written down. So in the, what, I think what you're saying though, because in the epistles or the letters that were written, they were actually the first and they, and, and am I right, they actually include some early Christian creeds and hymns that were probably some of the very earliest ways of framing the, the Jesus story, if you like, and the, the significance of Jesus. So they're really, really early. I mean, how early do you think they may have been in terms of the, the earliest forms of Christian writings? Very difficult to date them exactly, but we know that the letter to the Thessalonians was probably written around the year 49. Yes, okay. So that is about 16, 17 years yeah. after uh, death and resurrection. Yeah. Uh, that's not that long, 15, 16 years ago from now, that is, yes. what is it, 2006 yeah, or so. But the, but the thing that's slightly confusing and just helpful for our listeners to get their heads around is obviously that, that letter to the Thessalonians appears quite late in the New Testament in terms of its uh, in terms of the order of the books, but actually was the earliest writing. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now what you're saying here is probably Mark's gospel. So you would, you'd think Mark is the first of the gospels to be written, maybe somewhere in the 60s um, AD. And then what about the others? Where would you, how would you position them roughly in terms of dating? When do you think Matthew and Luke and John featured? I'm not absolutely convinced that Mark was written first. It is the most common mm. scholarly approach because Mark looks the most primitive in its language. It's the but shortest, it's the least developed. Right. And, and the idea is, am I right, that, that logically the idea is maybe Matthew and Luke had visibility of Mark and drew on it as well as adding their own materials. That is indeed a very common way of mm. explaining it. The, the exact relationship between the Gospels is a bit of a minefield mm. and most of the solution seems to be too simplistic and sort of wanting in, in details. Um, but let's assume that Matthew and Mark were the two earliest ones. They may both have been written in the 60s, but there is very little in the text itself that helps us to date 
the Gospels. The Gospels don't give a sort of indication that at this particular political event, they were written or something. The norm is, how do they talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in the year 70 AD? And then some scholars will say, well, Luke is probably written after and Mark before and Matthew possibly mm. after as well. But those, the basis for saying that is very, very slim. Mm. So you must okay. take those, those datings with a fair bit of salt. There have been good scholars who will date all the Gospels to before the year 70. AD. Just now, just uh, seventy AD is a real important reference point, isn't it? Just to explain for our listeners why is that such an important point in terms of you know Ju- Jewish and Roman history. So, in the year sixty six, a Jewish rebellion started in sort of the area of Israel. Yes, yeah, so Israel at this time is under Roman occupation, but in sixty six, the Jewish revolt began. Right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Carry and on. And that lasted a number of years. Initially, it was quite successful as those things go. But then the Romans mobilized their legions and basically destroyed it soon after. And that must have been a massively traumatic experience, not just because the Jewish temple was destroyed, but also any remaining Christians, the, the earliest Christian church would have to flee to all sort of mm-hmm. surrounding areas. Mm. And we know that that happened. Mm. So that is quite often seen as a sort of um, very firm hallmark point to try and date the Gospels. Okay, But it is the only thing. Yes. And obviously within the teachings of Jesus, there seems to be references that look forward to, towards that um, destruction of Jerusalem and, and, and so forth. Do you want to go further in your knowledge of the Bible? Tinder House and Bible Society have more resources to help you do just that. Why not check out Inc, a free magazine from Tinder House that aims to bring you current research on Bible manuscripts, languages and the ancient world. It's for everyone, regardless of academic knowledge or experience, and it's free. Sign up for a post or e-subscription on the Tinder House website. There's also the Bible course from Bible Society. The Bible Course is an eight-season small group resource that combines video teaching from Dr. Andrew Ollerton with interactive study time. It shows how the whole Bible fits together, from Genesis to Revelation, and how it applies to our lives today. Search The Bible Course or visit Bible Society's website to order a copy today. Now, that, So that particularly relates to Luke, Mark and Matthew and Luke. Just give us your view on John then. That, that, that's a slightly separate category, isn't it? Where, where would you place John in terms of dating? Now, John is probably the most helpful of all the evangelists when it comes to uh, a bit of dating in the sense that John seems to look back at the events he is telling from quite a bit later. So if you read John 21, final chapter, there it is John correcting some mistaken beliefs about himself, that he would stay alive till the Lord returns, which is actually not true. That's not what Jesus said. But that sort of uh, discussion at the very end seems to suggest a considerable distance in time between the act of writing down and the stories that are told. Mm -hmm. 
So it's somebody looking back. How long that was is very difficult to say. There might be one tiny uh, helpful part, and that is in John 5, it describes the pool of Siloam, and it describes it in the present tense. There is in Jerusalem a pool. Does that mean that the pool is still there so that it was written before the destruction of Jerusalem? It is stretching the evidence of a very common word, mm. but that's mm. about as far okay. as it goes. So either ways, we've got this period of time, perhaps just upward of 30 years from when Jesus uh, dies uh, and rose again in Jerusalem before the earliest of the Gospels. Let's assume it was Mark for now was written. And then maybe upwards of 50 years between when Jesus died and when the last of the Gospels, let's assume it was John, was written. What was going on? I mean, because obviously Jesus himself was a preacher, but he wasn't an author, right? He didn't actually write in his own accounts. These Gospels were written afterwards by others. What's going on between the end of the uh, earthly ministry of Jesus uh, in that period of time for the 30 to 50 years at least where uh, before the Gospels are written? How, how is that period to be understood? The, the stories about Jesus must have been somewhere. Now, if we believe that the, the Gospels have good claim to be historical, then the miracles, the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount must have been somewhere in between. But not in written form, because the Gospels are the written form. So, so where were they? Uh, the New Testament gives some indication, actually, of where they were. Um, and I think the story is like this. When the apostles started uh, their ministry in Acts, you read again and again, they were teaching, they were teaching, they were teaching. I think five or six or seven times you find that repeated through Acts. Now, what were they teaching? What were they teaching about Jesus? What were they teaching about Jesus, knowing that they were moving from church to church and would not return to a church anytime soon? So what they were teaching were the traditions of Jesus they were handing down. And you find in Matthew, and Matthew, Mark and Luke, the parables and the discussions and the various miracles, all recorded in sort of bite-sized short sections. And John is a little bit different. He takes the time to tell a story. Those bits of tradition were handed down. Mm -hmm. But everything happened orally, in memory. And there are plenty of examples in other, uh, other traditions, social settings, where this is perfectly normal. Short stories uh, handed down, remembered, shared, preached, etc. So in a sense, what we have then is, our, is the events of the life of Jesus, of course, first and foremost. But then we have this period where there's a tradition being handed down what we would call the oral tradition, right? That is, it's a spoken tradition. Um, and that, but towards the end, I, I presume part of what's going on here is that towards, as, as those who were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus begin to die off, the, is, would, would you understand that to be part of the, if you like, the, the reason why it was committed to paper? Is, is that, why did, why did it start to be written in more considered and full ways in the Gospels? If you read the second letter to Peter, 
by Peter, sorry. He says that he has made every effort so that also after his departure, his readers would have access to the teaching. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he is actually referring to that whole gospel writing process, because that was indeed one of the acute things. Another reason is just the sheer spread of the gospel. Mm. Uh, A number of apostles and kind of apostolic uh, approved people, you get into geographical problems they cannot cover the whole church okay. anymore so you've got both a generational thing there's a generation dying off who want to record these life-changing events and you get the geographical spread how can we disseminate this information further and field and obviously we're the grateful recipients of this aren't we the only reason we have access to the historic life of jesus is precisely because they committed it to memory but then also committed it to paper right or to papyrus as we'll come on to in a moment so so you've got it you got it you got this stage now where certain people um are thinking we need to capture this in in a written form what can you say about the kind of process or investigation or research they would have done in order to get um from to, to gather the information they needed for the gospels there's very little actual data to go with it but Luke is clear that he takes the tradition of the eyewitnesses and those who are ministers of the word and he adds to it and I've done my own research I have searched everything precisely what do you think that means Dirk I mean what what's what what could you imagine Luke did um, in, in that period where he was researching and investigating well, we know he was a companion of Paul mm-hmm. for a number of years at the end of Acts. We know he uh, may have been in Jerusalem. He was with Paul when he was probably in Ephesus on his whole journey to Rome. It gives you plenty of access to quite a few key players. Mm-hmm. So the interesting bit uh, in Luke is that it records the angel, uh, the conversation of Gabriel with Mary. Now, it's quite likely that Mary stayed close to the Apostle John, because that's what the Gospel of John tells us. And it may well be that Luke has actually met Mary uh, when he was in Ephesus, Mm. something like that. So there's plenty of opportunity there. People talked to one another. It was a fellowship of believers. They were searching one another out. It was not a sort of group that each had their own church and stayed isolated. No, it was was a highly mobile group. And really, the church was a community where people shared, talked mm-hmm. to one another. Okay. So in the case of Dr. Luke, you could almost imagine that he was interviewing eyewitnesses and deliberately seeking out key witnesses. Because I, I mean, we picked up with Peter in the previous episodes that there's so many names in the Gospels, aren't there? So these are real people and locations of where they lived. You, you could almost imagine that Luke has been on some kind of investigation and interviewed and, and captured the stories. And then his gospel, along with the others, is effectively the condensed uh, recording of, of those eyewitness testimonies to the life of Jesus. Very much so. And I always think about the gospels, not so much as attempts at a biography of Jesus, but much more a almost a personalized record of how the various apostles 
taught who Jesus was. And that explains the differences and the similarities between the various Gospels very much, because everyone teaches a subject in their own way, with their own emphases and in their own words sometimes, but at the same time using the common curriculum, Mm. where many of the stories were taught in quite fixed wording. Mm. Now, whether the relationship between the various Gospels can all be explained by shared oral kind of transmission, whether there is also kind of a literary, kind of comparing document to document with one another, that's a very difficult web or not to untangle. Mm. And I think it's a bit of both. Okay. Now, I'm looking forward in part two, we're going to talk a bit about how, so how have we got from the, the actual, if you like, the actual piece of paper that the Luke wrote his gospel on to the copies that we have surviving today. And, and, and we'll talk about that transmission process. But before we get there, just stepping back from all that you've shared in, in part one now, you think about the, the life of Jesus and the eyewitnesses to that. And then you've got this period of an oral tradition where people are handing on the stories in like nugget form, if you like, and then you get to the stage where they're written down. All of that to say, Dirk, for you as a scholar, but also as a, as a Christian yourself, how much confidence can you have in, how much confidence can we have in the historical accuracy of the Gospels that we're reading today, given that process? I think it's quite a safe process because it doesn't rely on the testimony of one person. No, we have no, four accounts. So it was a kind of multiple lines of memory of transmission that were uh, existing side by side. The other great thing is that communities are very resistant to changing of the tradition. Um, you can see that when uh, everyone who has young children and there is that familiar storybook and you dare to skip <laughs> a sentence or change a story, immediately you know, you're being told off. That also works for community. Mm. Try to change the wording of a hymn. It causes uh, a kind of outrage a in riot. church. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, so there is the community control over the writing down mm of the teaching. Mm. And all in all, I think that's a perfectly safe and sound uh, way of doing things. A highly accountable process to get from the life of Jesus to the written gospels that we're reading today. Dirk, thanks so much. Looking forward to talking more in part two. Thank you. Trusting the Bible is a collaboration between Tyndale House Cambridge and Bible Society. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to catch the rest of the conversation. If you'd like to know more about what we do, visit us online at tinderhouse.com or biblesociety.org.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series, so do get in touch, either on Twitter at Tyndale underscore house, or email us, communications at tinderhouse.com.